0: I reached out to them like week one of Awo Bonita, like conceptually. And I knew that we were way, way, way too early but i just needed them to know that we existed and to give me the name of someone else who might possibly be interested in something at our stage and it set the tone for being able to you know come back to them a year later and say like hey remember when i hit you up and i didn't have anything like now look at everything that we've accomplished in the last year and so it made the investor conversations go much more quickly much more smoothly and i would suggest everyone to take that approach because relationships are everything when especially when you're asking people for money
1: this is evolve cpg a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better but actively pursue it as better products better brands and better leadership for a better world Join our online community at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Kayla Castaneda, CEO and co-founder of Agua Bonita, about their first year in business and how she wins every pitch.
0: My name is Kayla Casaneda. I am the CEO and co-founder of Agua Bonita. We make the first line of better for you, ready to drink aguas frescas, which is a traditional Mexican drink. And we're so excited to share them with the modern market.
1: Awesome. I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been following you on LinkedIn. Haven't yet tried the product, but I remember being really excited when I saw this other agua fresca that was like a hard agua fresca brand hit the whole food shelf for a very brief amount of time and then they disappeared. I'm not sure why, but I was buying them and I thought they were delicious. (laughs) And then when I saw, I've been seeing you kind of doing your pitching and doing your thing on LinkedIn and it just seems like it's such a cool company and you have a a fun story. So, I'm excited to share it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we are super excited too. The last year has been really crazy and we've sold out multiple times, which probably lends to the reason why you've been unable to try some of our drinks. But yeah, I mean, we started about a year ago in July of last year was when my co-founder, Aaron, and I conceptually started the company, but we actually didn't ship our first cases out until New Year's Eve of 2020. So we've been in the market for just under a year. And when I think about it that way and look back on you know everything that we've accomplished in less than a year's time, it's just like the most monumental year that we probably could have had as a new brand.
1: Yeah, totally. There's a, a phrase I use a lot which sort of applies here and sort of doesn't, but it's um, people often overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. And I think it's when you're in the moment, sometimes you feel like, well, I haven't gotten as far as I want. But when you take a look back, sometimes you're like, wow, I'm actually impressed with how far we've come. And this is just year one, you know, like imagine 10 10 years in how, how far you'll have gone. So, On this show, beyond just like sharing interesting stories of innovators, I also like to kind of show their career journey or how they got to where they are. When looking into your history, your work history, I thought it was really interesting that you started in hospitality and sports because I feel like often a lot of innovation and brilliant ideas come from people bringing their experience in one industry to another. So, before we dive into CPG and hearing more about Agua Benita, could you tell us a little bit about your background in the hospitality and sport industry?
0: Yeah. So it is kind of interesting how I ended up here. I mean, I felt like that's how all good stories start. But I moved to New York City when I was about 17, 18 years old. I think I had just turned 18 for college. And I am from a very very small town like where everyone all the generations have gone to the same high school it's the only high school in town you know like that kind of small town yeah, vibe totally. so new york city is like the exact opposite of where i could have gone to if i if i wanted yeah just a total 180 from where i'm from and while i was there like every broke college kid you know you start working in restaurants and stuff like that so i was a hostess a server a bartender yeah, just making money. But in New York City is where it really opened up my eyes to what a culinary experience can be like. Just aside from like, yeah, you know, you have your family gatherings and your cultural traditions and things like that. But when you go to a big city like that, you really see the artistry behind like food and beverage. And so that's where my interest was really piqued. And then I was working at this like high-end restaurant on Wall Street and A lot of like sports executives used to come and dine there because it was like a upscale sports bar basically. And my family is a huge sports family. Like my dad was drafted to the MLB um like out of high school. So Uh, we were yeah, we were just like really a huge sports family. So I loved baseball and the Yankees execs I got to connect with. Would come in and they were like, hey, you're actually really good at your job. Um, and you know, we have an opening and I think that you should apply. And I was like, I'm down. <laughs> I'm totally down. Sold, like, yeah. this could not get any better. Like, you did not have to tell me twice. Applied, got the job, started working with Major League Baseball in a few different teams in a few different cities, but throughout that whole process, so I worked a lot in like the sales side of stuff, and I would always get kind of caught up in the food and beverage side of that business. You know, like there's concession stands, there's special events, like I mean drinking in and of itself just like the alcohol industry that goes with sporting events is so huge. And I realized I really had, you know, still that interest from my time in hospitality and so I started working, yeah, with like brand partners, ended up working with Starwood Marriott and then eventually found my way to Coca-Cola. Who better to get a beverage business education from then Coca-Cola. And it really was like a culmination of all my past jobs of like, yeah, working in hotels, working with sports, working in restaurants, just kind of dwindling down to Coke. And so I did like business development for them in California, did that for a long while. And then after a while of just learning the ropes and really learning how to grow, not just like a brand, but like a portfolio of brands and a region and, just the corporate thinking that goes behind that kind of stuff, I wanted to work on products that I felt closer to. Because obviously Coke is a huge corporation and you might have a great idea, but that's probably not going to get implemented unless you like have the CEO on speed dial. So I left Coke and I started consulting for startups, um, like hospitality startups, beverage startups. And one job that I took... I said yes to the same week that the global pandemic started. So it was oh, a terrible wow. time to say yes to a new job. And within a few months, that company just like ended up closing its doors. And I had met who would be my future co-founder during that time. She had left for maternity leave as I came on. And yeah, so July rolled around, we were out of jobs, and we had time on our hands, we didn't know, you know, what the pandemic was really gonna be like at that point. And I decided, like, I have this cool idea. And would you want in on it? <laughs> you know, Just kind of like courting one another. And yeah, and then that's really when Awa Bonita was born. So, we joke and say like when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas um, because (laughs) it was just one of those, yeah, one of those experiences where we were in a tough situation. We didn't know what was going to come to us and we decided to just like go all in and it was kind of like a now or never thing.
1: I feel like so many entrepreneurial stories start with some sort of like disaster scenario where something happened, they got laid off or had a health problem or their kid had an allergy or Something Mm -hmm. like that. So, your analogy of like when life gives you lemons, make agua bonita or agua fresca Mm -hmm. makes total sense because I feel like that's a lot of origin stories for starting something because it's when you truly firsthand experience a problem or something like that that sometimes give you inspiration to innovate, right? But also, when you've got like nothing left to lose, it's so much easier to start a company than when you have like these golden handcuffs of this perfect corporate job with amazing benefits and so on and so forth. It's hard to convince yourself. To take the risk to dive in and become an entrepreneur. But when you have that yeah, free sure. space and that time and time to think about problems, then of course solutions come more easily.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, people ask all the time, like, oh, like, how did Abu Bonita start? And I'm like, I honestly, there's like our origin story is twofold. Like, in one way, the company physically started because, you know, we were in between a rock and a hard place and without a job and, you know, yeah, we had the time to start it. Then, yeah, then there's this cultural origin story from like my family and the way that Aguas has played a role in my life and growing up and, you know, the the customs that we have. And so, yeah, so it's just really like converged the two.
1: That's cool. You kind of mentioned this startup phase and you are kind of, Still in that, you know, being one year in. But I know that also a lot of entrepreneurs often have to make this decision at some point between continuing something as this side hustle that maybe you kind of automate as much as possible so you can get some just cash flow on the side of your full time gig or whatever. But, or making the switch to jumping in full time and trying to get a salary out of it and grow it quicker. And I think from some posts I've seen you make on LinkedIn, You've somewhat recently kind of had to make that decision. So, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to do kind of like the bootstrap from side hustle to full-time kind of experience of making that decision and then how, you, how you're going about like fast tracking it?
0: Yeah. So, we actually just recently made the decision, I would say, to like draw a salary, but it has never been really a decision on whether we were all in or not because we didn't really have any other choice Um, because we already didn't have jobs and it was the middle of the pandemic. So we were really like all in from day one and yeah, and we went through and we bootstrapped everything. And so there's a huge risk involved when it's like the uncertainty of life in general, and then pouring, you know, your own savings into this, not having really a side hustle because of the pandemic, and still just deciding to like push forward with it. Absolutely. So for us, I don't think it was like so much the decision on like, are we going to be all in or not? It was like, okay, we're going to take a risk. And like, where do we draw the hard stop at for this risk? You know, yeah, like okay, what sense. is the the timeline? Yeah. And for ourselves, we gave ourselves a year. We said, you know, we will do this for a year. And if by, you know, X date, we are unable to like draw a modest salary from this, then like this will have to become a side hustle and we will have to start like looking for other things and stuff like that. So yeah, in our case, I guess it was a full-time job from day one and we really, yeah, had those goals in mind at at, like the inflection points that we wanted to hit for ourselves. But bootstrapping is difficult. It's difficult.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I love that because sometimes like when you're doing the side hustle thing where you've got like a consistent paycheck that's kind of keeping your life going and then you're doing this hustle on the side, it can be hard to to make enough progress because you just don't have enough hours when it's a side hustle or maybe like people aren't as willing to go on that journey with you because they don't feel like you're fully committed yet and so on and so forth. There's a lot of ways that you can get tripped up that way. It's nice because you've got security but it's harder to like really test it out. So, the fact that you dove in first and said, we'll give ourselves a certain amount of time before we pull back, I think was a smart strategy because you could go all in and really see if it's going to work. And then, you know, setting that timeline for if we don't hit it by this point, you know, let's think of other options. That's cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was just one of those things where we would not have accomplished what we have accomplished in the last year had we not been working on this full time, because we both have little ones. And like, that's a job in and of itself. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, I get interrupted even just trying to (laughs) do like a podcast. And if it would have been like, okay, little ones and your full time job, and I will need that it just would never have worked out.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So you recently hit that point where you decided, you know what, it's not going to be a side hustle, (laughs) we're gonna go in and start pulling a salary. So What were some of the tactics you used to be able to get to that salary point? Because I'm sure there's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that want to know, like, what does that path look like? Do you have to raise money? Do you have to borrow money? Do you have to get sales up to a certain point? Like, how does that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for everyone. And it really is dependent on like, your margins and your business structure and things like that. For us, we knew that it wasn't going to be realistically until after we finished fundraising. And so we wanted to make sure that the cost of doing business were first and foremost covered and then ourselves, because we figured, you know, like if we can get the business to work, then we'll eventually be able to pay ourselves too, you know, but CPG is a very expensive game to play and just everything about the business is very expensive. And so we knew that like our personal wallets were, you know, at a hard stop and that we only had so much runway personally, and that, yeah, we were going to have to fundraise. So for us, the point at which we could consider taking a salary was like after fundraising.
1: And I know I've seen that you've posted up multiple pitch slams that you've won, and I imagine maybe you've also done a more traditional kind of investor fundraise. So can you talk about the difference between those two things, maybe?
0: Yeah, so pitching and pitch competitions have been great for our business, not just because of the money that we've been fortunate enough to win and the services that come with those prizes, but also from the publicity and just like the brand awareness that comes with having those types of platforms. I have been fortunate enough to win every pitch competition oh gosh, that I've been awesome. in this last year. Yeah, so in I don't say that lightly because I mean, every single time that I go up to pitch, I'm still just as nervous but i think that we just have a story that really resonates with people and i love to be able to share our story and i think that that really you know shows through so we've been lucky to win a lot of money that way and just get some you know validation but yeah i mean fundraising on the other hand is a lot trickier you know there's a lot of metrics that a lot of different people are looking for you have to have the network and like the connections and introductions to get to the right people that are interested in the space that you're in, it can be a very, very long process. I know that some of the people that, you know, ended up investing or helped us get to an investor, I reached out to them like week one of Aba Bonita, like conceptually. And I knew that we were way, way, way too early, but I just needed them to know that we existed and to give me the name of someone else who might possibly be interested in something at our stage. And it set the tone for being able to, you know, come back to them a year later and say like, hey, remember when I hit you up and I didn't have anything? Like now look at everything that we've accomplished in the last year. And so it made the investor conversations go much more quickly, much more smoothly. And I would suggest everyone to take that approach because relationships are everything when especially when you're asking people for money.
1: That's brilliant because it's also just kind of ties into why branding, advertising, marketing kind of works because they say often that a consumer needs to be exposed to your brand like somewhere around seven times on average before they like jump in and and take action. And I, I imagine it's similar with like investors and I have heard from investors that it's a whole different scenario if somebody comes to them fresh, and you know you're looking at the numbers, and you haven't heard of them, you don't know their backstory, you don't know progress, et cetera, and you're just trying to evaluate them on the spot. Versus you've seen their journey because they've updated you, they kept you in touch, and then they finally come back to you when they're ready for that ask. I think that that's a whole different approach, and it makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's it definitely paid off for us.
1: That's awesome. So you've done both traditional investing and winning all these pitch slams, which is amazing. So how did you get so good at these pitches? Did you have experience giving presentations, pitching? Did you do Toastmasters? Or was it really just about the fact that you've got like a really exciting product idea that's that's different?
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't know what Toastmasters no. is. So <laughs> I might ask you about that later. Growing up, just in general, I've always liked to have a stage and have a platform to talk to people. Like I said, I think that there's a... Element of authenticity to our brand, and that that is what people are looking for when you're going into these pitch competitions. Like you know, everyone can say the biggest and greatest numbers that they have, or you know, like oh, this company we're going to make you billions of dollars. You know what I mean? Like everyone can say those things, but like not everyone has a brand story and like a vision and the like transparency and authenticity that I think like lots of viewers and judges are like looking for. And then obviously you're going to get the hard questions about like the metrics of your business. But like, if they're not even interested in what your business does to begin with, like, you're not going to get to the point to answer those questions. So I think that a lot of our success has just been like, kind of being able to relate to people and, yeah, be really transparent with people.
1: That's cool. I think that aligns with what I've seen Uh, Simon Sinek who was a famous kind of TED talk but also has kind of written from a perspective of this idea of starting with why because his philosophy is if people don't know why they should care, they don't care about the rest of it, the what and the how, etc. So, like when people go up and they just start presenting numbers and data and you know, product ideas before they connect with the audience and really get them to understand why this idea matters or why it matters to you or why it should matter to them, then it's going to fall flat because then it's just all numbers jumbling around in your mind. But once you hear a compelling story, Mm -hmm. then when they start sharing the data, they're going to pay closer attention and and be excited about it. So, that's cool. So, beyond this idea of like authenticity and, and getting people kind of in on the why before you start pitching the how and what, do you have any other tips for other entrepreneurs who are trying to get better at pitching because you've won everyone that you've been on so you've probably also seen the people who didn't win so if you were like giving advice to the people you were competing against for example what advice would you give to them to improve their presentation
0: no I, I do have um, a few tips for people going into pitch competitions I would say my very first pointer is to read the room you know like different audiences care about different things And there's usually like some focus of the pitch competition itself anyway, you know? So if you are going into an eco-friendly pitch competition, like that should be the focus of what you're saying, you know? Like that's what the people watching care about and the people judging care about. So just like read the room and make sure that you are talking about what people actually care about. I would say make sure that like, you paint a vision, right? Like your your job when you're pitching is to really get people excited about your business. And so I think it's really easy to get lost in like the details of your business and like the small numbers and the metrics. But you have to like realize what might be exciting to you is really not exciting for people outside of your business to hear about. So just make sure you paint the bigger picture for people to buy into and get excited about. And then lastly, I would say to practice your timing because you are given, you know, a set amount of time well beforehand. So like practice your pacing and go through it a few times because the worst thing that could happen is that you don't even get to that like big finale. You don't get to that last big point because you didn't finish in time. And it just makes you look like you didn't prepare well and just unfinished, like unresolved, you know? So I would say just like practice your timing and make sure that you're able to finish in the time allotted.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I love that tip because I've seen a lot of pitch competitions where exactly that happens. They don't get a chance to finish their are punchline or get to the big ask at the end or whatever it is. And they've got to go off stage half finished, which means you're automatically not going to win, right? Because nobody got to hear the punchline.
0: Exactly. I mean, you still have a chance, but I would say like, yeah, you didn't finish, right? Like you wouldn't give a presentation at school and like leave the last couple slides off, you know, because it just would feel like you didn't do your assignment. So just practice your timing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Those are great tips. So I know that you have a co-founder. We heard a little bit about your background, but what's your co-founder's background and how do you two split duties in the company?
0: So my co-founder is great. Her name is Erin. We have very complementary skill sets, which I think is super important if you're looking for a co-founder. But her background is varied. I know that she went to Stanford out of college. She worked for a variety of businesses. She's she's worked in like law. She's worked in startups, like a beverage startup. You know, she's has kind of run the gamut. She's worked in tech. So a lot of like operations and marketing, things like that. And so like Erin's handiwork is what you see on our cans. Like our actual brand we didn't outsource any of our branding. It's done in-house and like that is, you know, the work of Erin I can't work Photoshop to save my life. You know what I mean? Like Instagram filters are probably like as far as I go, but Erin is really great with that kind of stuff. And, you know, she's really great with details, which helps when, you know, you have this huge operation that you're trying to get off the ground. So yeah, so we I would say have like complementary skill sets in that and we try to divide and conquer as much as possible based upon like our strengths. So more of the like selling and strategic partnerships and overall vision from a cultural standpoint comes a lot from my side. Then the like execution, which execution is everything in any business, comes a lot from Aaron. So we definitely work in tandem to get a lot of things done, everything done.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I love the idea of just complementary skills because I know sometimes when you have Heavy overlapping skills, it's hard to decide who's in charge of what. But when it's complementary skills, there's easy way to Mm -hmm. define, okay, that's your territory. This is my territory. Now, let's go get some stuff done. Love it. One year in-ish, I know that we talked a little bit about the cash flow struggles when you're bootstrapping it and needing to go out and raise money and try to get to the point where you're paying yourself. But beyond that, what do you feel like has been your biggest like lesson learned or biggest challenge that you've had to overcome thus far?
0: I would say that we underestimated the difficulty of producing a product like ours. You go into CPG and you think like, okay, yeah, like I will either make it myself or find a co-manufacturer and then they'll get it done. And it's that easy, you know, and this co-manufacturer says that they can do it and I trust them that they can do it. That is not the case. That's like literally hardly ever the case. And it takes a lot of time and money to like find the right partners in that regard. And it's so important to everything else in your business, you know, and it's kind of crazy when you get into like the depths of vetting, like co-manufacturers is just like a lot of times, like the attitudes um, that co-manufacturers have, because I mean, they don't need us, right? Like brands need them to like create their products but they have like a whole pipeline of brands that need products created you know and so that has truly been the biggest difficulty for us is like the manufacturing process especially when you try to align things because we we source and we Rescue produce. So, like some of our sourcing practices are a little bit more laborious than, you know, some others. And so that's just like, yeah, another element onto things.
1: I've heard that same story from a bunch of people, both like startup companies, but also more experienced brands too, when they're innovating a new product. Like it can just take a lot longer than you think to just go through the motions of testing out different recipes or testing different manufacturers and packaging forms and so on and so forth. So, future entrepreneurs out there just don't think that you're going to get this done in a couple months. I imagine it could easily take a couple years for some products to go from start to completion, especially if it's like, I was just having a conversation recently about sustainable beauty and a startup that's trying to do lipstick, not knowing that it can take literally a year or two to find a right formula that doesn't melt in different climates and then like finding the right packaging that can fit that type of material, especially if you have sustainability in mind is going to be maybe even another couple of years. So it's not a come up with an idea and launch in two months kind of business.
0: Yeah. We spoke to the founder of a very well-established sparkling water brand, like very well-established. And he told us that like it took them five years to even get to like the version of the product that we see now. And so like, yeah, it can take so, so, so long to get to a point to where it's like, even just like shelf stable.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So what form is your product currently? And how many different flavors do you have? And where can people find it?
0: So right now we have two different flavors. We have watermelon chile and pineapple cucumber. They're available online at com. Pretty soon here we will be launching a new SKU actually in just a few weeks. So if I were you guys, I'd go follow us on Instagram at com to have your eyes peeled for that. And at the end of the this year, we will be rolling out into 50 Sprouts locations across California. So you will be able to go to Sprouts all over Northern California, all over Southern California, and walk in and grab Avo Bonita right off the shelf.
1: That's awesome. And are you focusing your initial growth in kind of a region like focusing on California to start? Is that just the first real retail chain that's bought on, but you're also looking in the Northeast or other things like that? I've been reading a little bit about different growth curves and it seems like starting regionally could be a strong idea.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the plan for now. California is our backyard and California and Texas in particular, there's a real reverence for aguas frescas and just a real understanding of like what we're trying to create. And so, I would say that that is really more our focus right now is, you know, getting into the hands of people that know what we are, or are willing to, you know, opt for a new experience. But really, yeah, focusing on our backyard first, and then expanding from there. Slow and steady.
1: Awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, projecting forward, let's just say, you know, you're you're pretty new, a year in. So, let's just say two years from now, year three, what is your kind of vision for where you're hoping to get in that amount of time? And what could we be kind of excited about as we follow along on your story?
0: If all goes to plan, (laughs) um, by then, I think that you will see a wider variety of SKUs for sure. And also just widened availability. I think our goal by then would be to be national with a, like, you know, mass retailer. So that way you could really just go get our product at, you know, a very familiar grocery store in your town, no matter where you're at, whether that's like the Midwest or, or yeah, Southern California. And then, yeah. And then just working on some innovations. When we think about Agua Bonita right now, yeah, we are aguas frescas but I think we would love to be, you know, a brand that can transcend multiple categories. And so and just really kind of be that premier better for you Hispanic brand when it comes to beverage. So, yeah, you might see us in in multiple spots on the shelf hopefully.
1: Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to following along and really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your journey and lessons learned so that others following in your footsteps can uh learn and we can all get there further faster together but also I'm just personally excited about your product, like I mentioned before. Can't wait to dive into it. And I'm excited to see you growing on the West Coast out where I am. <laughs> That's, uh, so I'll be able to find it quicker than some of the people over on the East Coast. But but who knows? Two, a year from now, you might already be national. So everyone will be able to get it.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I mean, this last year has been crazy. There's things that we accomplished in this last year that we didn't think that we would. So who knows what the next year has for us?
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for taking some time to come and share. Thanks for doing what you do, and I'm, I can't wait to watch where you go next.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at Modern Species. Com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to evolvecpg.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Kayla or her brand, go to drinkaguabonita.com.